Uh, this class uh, is over the idea of witnesses or witnessing, and uh, which is a uh, an interesting concept. Uh, it's an interesting idea that uh, we often don't think about, and I, I've always been intrigued by the uh, the idea of uh, the word witness and especially in scripture, and it is one that we often don't use very much. We typically change that to something different, uh, but uh, it's, and so we're going to be going over what that means in uh, John's Revelation, and uh, I told Jack last week that I was going to use, I was going to pluralize that a bunch during class today, uh, just say Revelations all the time, see if that, um, see if he still uploads the, uh, the class on the uh, <laughs> you still will do that for me, but um, uh, anyways, we are, um, there are handouts somewhere. Do we have any handouts left? Yeah. She's Didn't. She's in charge. Andrea. You got one? Yes. All right. Fantastic. Okay. Andrea's in charge. So, um, but uh, so like I said, uh, we are going to just continue and uh, we're talking about the uh, the idea of witness uh, last couple of weeks, we talked uh, pretty extensively about uh, the phrase "every tribe, language, people, and nation," and how this is significant in the uh, the, the spiritual warfare that is out there, and uh, God's desire for everyone to come to salvation, and not just a select group, not just his uh, his his nation, or but uh, for everyone. And uh, the, everyone, all those who are saved, will be comprised of every tribe, every nation, every culture, every people. And uh, that's, a, that's a, a very important piece to remember, um, especially when we look at it from the idea of spiritual warfare. Uh, we've talked about this uh, throughout this year. Jack talked about it in his, if you were, go, went to his Unseen Rome class, or you've heard that before. And other classes have talked about the idea of the, uh, the, the unseen spiritual war that is going on uh, that we don't see, but we are very much a part of. And that's often a, a piece that we, uh, we kind of just you know, push to the side because we don't understand it, and so we just don't think about it too much. But the idea of everyone being involved and that everyone, uh, all those who accept, uh, accept Christ as their, their, their king, as, their, as his kingdom, that everyone who accepts that will be part of this nation, this uh, of all nations, all people, all languages, and every tribe. And uh, this is definitely the future um, concept that everyone who accepts him will be a part of that. But right now, it is important that we make sure that those of us who have already submitted, already taken him on and been and, and accepted his kingdom, we need to remember that it is our job to bear witness, to testify, to be uh, a part of that online uh, continuous fighting uh, that is happening and uh, throughout the spiritual world, and we need to tell people about that. We need to witness about that. We need to testify or preach or teach, uh, whichever way you want to translate that. And uh, again, kind of going back to that spiritual warfare idea, it's important that we remember the, the nice part about it, the blessing, is that we already know the outcome. We know what's going to happen in the war, but it doesn't change the fact that the war is still happening. I think sometimes we get this idea that we, we know, well, it's like we know God's going to win, and so we kind of sit on the sidelines and we just watch it unfold. 
And that is not what we are called to do. We are called to be a part of the war. We are called to be a part of the fighting. We cannot affect the outcome of the war. Right? The outcome is already preset. But we can affect the casualties. Okay? We can affect how many are going to suffer and how many are going to be lost. We can help with that. That is part of our, our job, a part of our business. And that's what we're going to be looking at uh, is how John uh, shows that in Revelation and then also how he shows that in his other writings and, and what that looks like. So um, the, the, the word witness, the idea of this, it's a, it's a great word. It really is. It's a very profound word in a lot of different ways. It's something we should definitely be acquainted with and, and believe and we should practice. Um, and I've been, I was, I've been thinking about this whenever he asked me to do this class. I was thinking about what this would look like. I don't know about y'all, but I, I, it's, it's odd to me, because maybe it's just me, I don't know. But it's odd to me, because it seems like that whenever we use the word witness, uh, when we talk about it, it's like, you know, because you hear people saying, you hear Christians saying, you know, it's like, well, you know, I, I wouldn't witness to them. I grew up in a way where that was almost like you kind of like... You know, almost like we just, you don't say that. I never understood why, why we don't say that. Um, it's very scriptural. And I, maybe that's just me. Maybe maybe you guys, like, I don't understand what you're talking about. Maybe it was just a matter of that we just didn't use that term. And it was just a different, we, we translate it differently. We say, uh, we, we talk about preaching and teaching uh, as opposed to witnessing. Uh, but I, it's basically what this is talking about. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Does anybody have to comment on that? I have no idea. That was a description when they were run out of Jerusalem. They went everywhere testifying to what they knew about Jesus, preaching the word. So why don't we say that? Not one of our traditions. And celebrate recovery. <laughs> they do a testimony every other week. Yeah. And to me, that's the same thing. It it's is. a witnessing. Yeah. They do a te- uh, different ones. In fact, I did my testimony a couple times. Yeah, maybe it is just maybe it's just a oh, this tradition that we just don't use that word. I don't know. I uh, just haven't. I like I said, I grew up where uh, we just didn't use that word, and and I don't know. It's just um, maybe maybe it's just me. But the point is though is that the idea of a of testimony, I did witnessing uh, that if you're talking about just a witness. Uh, the, the Jews did not allow circumstantial evidence in their court of law. A lot of people think that is just normal. It's like, oh, nobody accepts circumstantial. That is not true. Uh, lots of courts, lots of cultures allow circumstantial evidence in their, their courts. But the Jews did not. They relied on credible witnesses. That was part of the law of Moses that they did that. It, you had to have two or three. Uh, you, one would not be enough. And so if you were considered a witness, you were considered a man of value. Uh, you were considered someone who was valuable in the situation because of what you were uh, being asked to do. God is a witness, uh, and, and we we're, we're going to see it in a little bit. But uh, it is an important piece, being a witness is a very important piece of culture. It's a very important piece of justice and governments throughout history. And uh, again, this is something that we... Um, we can usually see, I think most people are going to, could probably recall, retail or recall an event uh, in history that was changed or that was a, uh, some event that was changed due to a witness, somebody coming forward. Uh, one of my favorite classes whenever I was teaching American history was 
uh, talking about the the idea of the Boston Massacre, the propaganda of the Boston Massacre. And that is an event. If you don't know much about the ending of that, there's the soldiers involved in that were put on trial. Do we know who actually defended them? Uh, John Adams. John Adams did. Yeah, John Adams did. Uh, which is interesting, uh, considering almost falls into ironic a little bit. But, uh, but anyways, the point is that entire trial would have been entirely different if it wasn't for a single witness who came forward and told what he thought really happened, threw everything in an uproar, and it happened that way it did. Uh, the fact the war didn't start for another five years because of that. So uh, the, the point is that a single witness can be very, very powerful in, uh, in, or throughout culture and history, and it's very much so even in Scripture. But it, the witness basically has one job, that is to testify, that is to, to teach and preach as to what it is that they, they know to be right and what they know to be true. Uh, the word witness, uh, if you're looking at the, uh, the notes here, the word witness uh, is used 19 times throughout Revelation. Uh, John, uh, though, however, is very taken with the word. He really likes it. Uh, as we know, if you look at the next line, uh, we know that the book of John, the gospel of John, is uh, very much about talking about the divinity or the, the divine nature of God. It very literally starts out the way uh, the word was with God, the word was God. And, uh, and so he is going to make it very, very important, very clear that witnessing, having witnesses for this evidence was extremely important. And, uh, and so he is going to show that 48 times uh, throughout the Gospel of John. Uh, a big piece of that is in John chapter 5, which we're actually going to look at. We're going to spend a little time in John 5 because that will kind of help us see what his goal is in Revelation. And at least whenever he was writing this, what the goal was to, to show this. Because again, if we go back to talking about the Jews and in most cultures, credible witnesses was extremely, extremely important. So we're going to look at John chapter 5 if you want to turn there. Yes. Jesus once said, witnesses prove that I am who I say I am. My miracles, the prophets... And God speaking from heaven, three witnesses, I cannot be lying under the Jew, Jew, Jewish legal system. I am who I say I am. Which is part of chapter 5 of John. <laughs> uh, which we're going to look at. So, uh, very, very true. So, um, but again, we're going to, uh, if you want to flip over to John 5, we can, uh, we can go uh, look through that a little bit. So, if you remember, just to kind of go through the story a little bit, the event here. Uh, the first 18 verses of John chapter 5, uh, a lot of people call it the death of legalism, because this was uh, the man who had been an invalid for 38 years. He was at the pool of Bethesda and uh, had been attempting to, uh, to get into the pool. Uh, and, uh, and so finally, after 38 years, Jesus um, meets him and heals him on the Sabbath. The, the, the interesting part was that no one denied the miracle. No one denied that it was a good work. No one denied any of that. What they had a problem with was that he picked up his bed and carried it on the Sabbath. That was the problem. And so uh, th this was the legal uh, issue. He had violated the law. They had made the legalists very, very angry, so much so that they were willing to want to murder Jesus solely because he had caused this man or encouraged this man to or in, in, uh, asked him to pick up his bed and walk away with it. You know, the legalists, people who get into this, the very legal concept of, uh, the, of what we look at in Scripture and in other places, 
they often forget some very important pieces that, that laws often override other laws uh, based on their, uh, their higher principles, that life will overrule laws, that, um, that people's values overrule laws, that Christ overrules laws. And so it is important uh, for, to remember that what we do is based on, it's our business as people, not on the, the law, not based on the rules. It's based on people, especially in, uh, in the New Covenant. And, and this was true even in, for the Jews, for them. That was the part that Jesus makes very clear over and over and over again that the, the law was meant to help the people, not to have this legalistic sense. As we know through his, his teachings with the Pharisees that uh, he was constantly battling against that, uh, that idea for them. But uh, whenever, after they accuse him of what he has supposedly done, he then turns around and makes some very, as one article said, some very audacious claims uh, as to, and if you're looking through, we're not going to read it, but if you're looking through verse 18 uh, through uh, the kind of the 20s there, he talks about that he is, he claims to be the giver of life, he claims to be the final judge, he claims to be the savior, and he claims to raise the dead. All right, so these are all things. He basically says very clearly, I am God, I am the son of God, I am have the ability to do these things. The important piece here, and this is where we, we need to tie in with what it means to be a witness. By simply saying these things, it does not uh, mean much by just simply saying it. So he actually turns around and he says, I can do, this is starting in verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. He goes on to say, if I bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. And so he needs to show witnesses. So Jesus is actually going to testify about other witnesses who'd witnessed for him. And so we're going to read, uh, starting verse 30, we'll go through verse 39, uh, and uh, so you can see this. It said, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I bear alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to me, I'm sorry, you sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to re uh, rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works of the Father has given me to accomplish, uh, given me to accomplish the very works that I am doing. Bear witness about me uh, that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form have, you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. So Jesus is going to go back and he's going to point out a number of, he's going to, he is going to witness, he is going to testify about a number of witnesses. First one, verse 30, he says again in verse 37, that is God the Father. That uh, Jesus is he's God sent, he's blessed, he's powered, he is, God is his witness. And this was very important for the Jews because that would have, they would have absolutely believed in God. And so obviously, so this was saying God has already stated this, God has made it very clear as to who I am. Verse 32 through 35, he talks about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was sent by God. 
and said he is a voice introducing the Savior. Right, and they, they, he, and he goes on to say, and he says, you, for a little while, you rejoiced in what he was saying. You were like, this is great. But then I come along, the person that he was actually testifying about, and you don't believe me. He also goes on and talks about his works. And he was, Jesus was going about doing good works, doing the work of God. He was healing, he was helping, he was teaching, he was serving, he was doing everything he was supposed to do. When John the Baptist sent disciples uh, to question Jesus about, are you the one? He doesn't say, listen to what I have to say. He says, tell John what you saw. He's, his works, these are what, uh, this is a testimony for what he is doing. Uh, the last verse we read, verse 39, he does this again in verse 47. Uh, he talks about the Jews had the scriptures, but they didn't really have the scriptures. They didn't have God and what they, they didn't understand. They knew the law, but they didn't know God. It's going back to that legalistic idea. And then if you go into the, the 40s there, we didn't read that, but he also presents Moses as this. He talks about that Moses, because uh, kind of a little less known idea of, of Jewish culture, Moses really wasn't a key figure in most Jewish culture for the better part of their history. He was an important person for sure, but he wasn't considered to be like number one. He wasn't the guy on top in most of their teachings uh, until you get closer to the first century. And as you get closer, really actually you get more in the that fifth, fourth, fifth century and you get into the, the exiles, Moses and the Mosaic law really kind of takes off. And it becomes a, it wasn't just the law of God, it was the Mosaic law, it was the law of Moses. And that became a very big thing. So by the time you get to the first century, um, Jesus was competing with or, or having to deal with the idea of Moses being considered to be very, very high, if not number one on this. And so he even points out, Moses testifies to me. And so that would, for the Jews, that would have been very, very high up on importance. And so that he, that's one of the reasons he brings that into this, the, the power of a witness is very undeniable. It's, it's hard to, to see that why this was not so important. And it's also hard to understand why the Jews would willfully reject uh, Jesus after all of these things. And as you get to, especially here, you can see the, the, the frustration that Jesus has whenever he's saying this. Because to him and to everyone, this was a, these were viable, very valuable witnesses uh, that were being shown. Um, you know, John is going to begin, is going back to what John was talking about John uh, in, in John's writings. He's going to begin the book of the Gospel of John with witnessing, uh, talking about John the Baptist. He ends it with his own testimony about how, how he saw Jesus. He knew what he had done, and he was a valuable and an incredible witness to what he had done. Uh, he also does the exact same thing in Revelation. He starts out, uh, in Revelation 1, he says, His servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. And then he, he caps it off. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add in the plagues described in the book. He is saying, if you, you need to witness what is here, you need to testify what is here, you can't add to it. You can't take away from it. All right, we, uh, that uh, my visions and Christ's visions and, and his talks, these are what we are, the witnesses. You don't add to them. You don't take away from them. You need to go based on what is here. So John is going to make it clear that witnessing is something. These are, these are bookends for him. They're, they're very, very important. Uh, the idea of showing testimony, of, of taking credible witnesses. So I want to ask you, 
uh, based on, because I want to try to follow Jack's notes as much as I can on this. So uh, the uh, what value does then, after we've talked about, what, what is the value of a witness? What can it do beyond what we've talked about? Is the, why is it so incredibly important to have witnesses for what we are talking about? It's the affirmation of who the accused is. Okay. The affirmation of the of the accused or the uh, to, to help to show proof? That can prove you guilty or innocent. Okay. Can prove guilt or innocence. Witnesses establish truth. If three witnesses agree on something and they're credible under the Jewish system, they establish what the truth was, what really happened. Jesus is truly God in the flesh. That's established by the prophecies, the witness to him, God who spoke from heaven for him, and the miracles that he did. Those are witnesses. They prove that he really is God in the flesh. I've always liked the idea. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. I've always liked the idea of uh, one of the best proofs, one of the best testimonies, witnesses to Jesus' resurrection is Paul. Uh, because he was such an adamant person against um, uh, against the Christians that the fact that he converted is it has to show that this was a, a credible witness because uh, someone in his day is Saul he would not have done that so yes you know, there's other places in scripture they don't ask just for a witness but witnesses yeah you know and go back and get another witness. Yes, and, it, and it's that was that was a that's it's valuable. The more you have, the more you have, the more you can add to this. This is another reason why it's so important that all of us are called to witness or testify uh, to the goodness of God. Is because it's the more you have, the more you can uh, you can show exactly what it is that, that God can do. Acts two will say that over four hundred Jews saw Jesus alive. After he rose from the dead in those 40 days, there were 400 witnesses to the fact that Jesus had been murdered but was alive again. Witnesses again. That's a, that's a pretty good amount of, of testimony, uh, for sure. You know, um, as, we, uh, uh, as we move uh, through to this, we're talking about the, uh, the testimony throughout uh, Revelation. Uh, this goes on in uh, testimony of Jesus. You know, John is not the only one who is going to testify uh, for who Jesus is. Uh, Jesus does also. He's given throughout Revelation and his his testimony. Um, why why would it be important to note the testimony of Jesus in Revelation? Why was it important to add him to that? Add what he said. He died and arose and is living God in heaven with us for us. He is the ultimate witness. Okay. Okay. As uh, for the the readers of the time, this definitely reminders. We already talked about there were multiple who had seen Jesus after the fact, so this would be a. Uh, a reminder, a, a to help a credit, give credit to them that Jesus was still alive and was still giving witness for himself and for what had been there, uh, what had been done. If you look through Revelation, uh, going through some of these verses uh, that are running, it says, "From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness 
the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. Uh, 1 verse 9, I, John, your brother, and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos uh, on account of the word given and the testimony of Jesus. He was there because of the, what Jesus had been saying, what had Jesus had said and testified and what he had done. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen and faith, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Uh, going on, I fell down at the feet to worship him, but he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Uh, I, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you because, about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And the last one, he said, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Yeah, the, the, the Christians, they, we already kind of said, the Christians who, they, they knew the message that was being received, and this was something coming quite a bit later from the original um, testimonies of Jesus and of the apostles, and this was a, a reminding, this was a, to show these testimonies are still the same. They have not changed. Uh, they, are the, they are the same as they have always been, and that Jesus is involved in their lives. He's still actively involved. He is still doing what he uh, said he was going to do, and nothing has changed in that. And it goes on, we talk in his notes, it goes on and says, bearing witness would provide comfort for them in their suffering. So it's, I think it's important, very quickly, to, to transition here. When we're talking about testifying, and then this last piece here is talking about suffering, uh, it's important to kind of transition to that uh, in this piece. You know, we, we have um, th this idea of, of testifying, witnessing uh, those who are, are suffering or already suffered. Uh, we, you know, we, we spent this whole year uh, in evangelism and, uh, and talking about different ways that we can testify, we can witness, we can preach and teach and, and talk to others. And it has been made very clear this year and for, for years, it always has been, that it's important that we understand that with that, uh, could come suffering, and uh, that these are the things that could come with uh, testifying or, or, or teaching. I, I do think that is, it, and I have pointed this out, many have, that it's also very fortunate that we, uh, in this country at least, and in most a lot of countries around the world even today, uh, that a lot of our, our suffering is, uh, is often self-inflicted uh, with what we are, our idea of suffering. A lot of times we, we think that what we, is going to happen to us is not necessarily what actually is going to happen to us. Um, we, we often uh, believe, it's like, well, if I try to go out and talk to somebody, they're probably going to say this to me. Well, they, when you say they're probably going to, that's more of a self-inflicted suffering than it is actual suffering. Uh, but it's important that we realize, it's important that we know that it is going to be there. There is going to be something uh, that, that goes along with this. Uh, the scripture makes it very clear. Jesus makes it very clear that uh, persecution comes with uh, with this this war. We are in a war, and we are fighting battles every day. And with that is going to come suffering and persecution. Um, and uh, I, but I do encourage you if if you're worried, if you're thinking that. Um, I don't think I can go out and do something. I don't think I can go out and help, or I don't think I can volunteer for this, or I can, 
you know, teach, or I can do a Bible study, or I can do whatever. If you don't think you can do that because you think something is going to happen, I encourage you to take a step back and think about, has it ever actually happened? Um, I've, I've heard a lot of people, um, obviously I, I, I work a lot with the classes and Bible classes and teaching and stuff, and I've heard a lot of people tell me, it's like, well, you know, I, I just can't teach because, you know, I, I'm just never going to be very good at that. My, my question is, I always like to ask, has anybody ever actually told you that? Have you ever told, taught a class and somebody came up to you and go, yeah, you really need to not do that again? Hey, um, I, I hope not. <laughs> I really hope not in church. And so I, I would venture to guess that probably hasn't happened. So it's important to remember that, that often, uh, you know, whenever Jack asked me to teach this class, it, it, uh, the interesting thing, I get asked a lot, you know, does that make you nervous that you teach that, you know, like Revelation and stuff? The reality is no, it doesn't. And the main reason it doesn't is because of y'all. That's really why it doesn't bother me is because I, I, trust, I trust the audience. I trust that we're all here for the same reason. And I may not be the best teacher for this subject. I know I'm not. But me being up here and talking is not what's going to affect whether you're able to gather something from the Word of God. And so, uh, and so it's important that we, we don't self-inflict on ourselves the suffering that is there. But it, it is also a, uh, important, though, to understand what actually can involve suffering. We look back in Revelation, that really was an idea of suffering. And these things do happen even around the world. And it's important that we, we, we know that. It's important that we understand that. If you look back, if you look at the notes there, when you read through some of these verses as to what this looks like, uh, you know, Revelation does not hold back at all as to what some of the suffering was. These are people who were speaking from death. They were speaking out from, the, from persecution that has already taken place. Uh, these, are, are, these are witnesses who are being called. And we're gonna, I, I'm going to ask you here in a little bit at the end of, the, at the end of this page, I'm going to ask you why are these witnesses are important. And uh, but let's listen to what they have to say. Uh, it says, Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the, soul, the souls of those who had been slain, for the word of God and for the witness they had borne, and I had, and I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for uh, twelve hundred and sixty days, clothed in sackcloth. And they, and when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb uh, and by the uh, word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Then the dragon became furious, and the woman went off to make war uh, with the woman. Excuse me, and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who kept the, keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. And then I and I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And the last one that I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. I also, uh, also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and for those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on the foreheads of their hands, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. It's important, again, that we understand that there are a lot of different levels of persecution 
Uh, and it doesn't necessarily mean that one is worse than other. It's all based on how we perceive what persecution is. I, I, I joke a little bit about, you know, self-inflicted. And I think it is important that we do understand the extremities of or the how important it is uh, when it comes to persecution. However, uh, it doesn't change the fact that persecution is still persecution. And uh, but in this case, we're talking about those who have given their lives. Now, why would it have been important to add these to Revelation, to the Revelation of John. What was what's the point of adding this? Because they gave their all for Jesus. Okay. They gave their all. John was witnessing what he had seen at the throne room of God, and those witnesses were there. He's telling what he saw. Okay, but why? I mean, I guess I understand. He's he's just he is repeating what he saw. But why add that? Have you have we ever had? I mean, I, I used. To, I mean, I hear this a lot, especially in education now. But um, you hear this a lot. And it's like, well, did you really need to talk about the really gruesome side of that? Can't we just talk about the story with adding all the gory details? Revelation six and ten, or ten and six. That's personally, you know, they was wanting him to avenge the ones that had murdered them. You know. Does it talk about any of that, that that he saw that weren't witnesses? Though? I mean, basically, it's saying these are witnesses, and that's why they're there. Right. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and you know that the 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 key to this, at least in my opinion, the key to this is that, and some of this is about talking to those who are still alive, those who are who have seen this happen. And he is reminding them, they're showing, yes, they, they died. They died for what they believed in. But they even, they, 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 they were teaching, they were preaching, they were talking, they were testifying, they were witnessing all the way up to the end. Talks about even up until, uh, up until death. And, uh, but even beyond that, that is something that is still going. It's an important reminder for those who are still alive that... This is not something that only happens to someone else way over there. It can happen to anybody, and it can be, but it's important that you have to keep going all the way up until death, if that's what that means. And I think that's a, I think that's a very profound piece. One of the reasons I brought this up and wanted to talk about it a little more, it is part of what Jack was having here in his questions, but I also wanted to bring it up and expound on it a little bit more because I think... That is an important lesson in areas, and I don't want, I don't, I don't not just, you know, here in the U.S., but I mean, I, I think in, in Western culture and in, in, in a lot of places where we don't suffer, we don't, we aren't put into this kind of persecution very often, sometimes we can kind of think, it's like, well, but that's not, you know, that, that's something that happens over there. As soon as these kind of persecutions stop, what are we going to do? And, and what he is reminding them, the revelation that is reminding them that, that, uh, that John is and that the Spirit is, that Jesus is reminding of, is that these things can happen, and what are we going to do if they, if they do start? Are we going to run away, or are we going to continue to witness and continue to testify? And uh, that's, that, that's the, an, an important, uh, important aspect of this. The, um, kind of in the summary in this, at the end, the, uh, the, Various witnesses throughout the book. These are. This is just kind of reading through what what Jack put. These are varying degrees of comfort and hope, uh, depending on where the people sit. 
whether they, whether they are they're alive and well in a relatively peaceful place, it's going to be really comforting for them to know that Jesus is still alive, Jesus is still talking to them, Jesus is still witnessing to them. For those that are in an area that is much more dangerous, maybe their family, maybe their friends have suffered, have maybe even died because of what they believe, it's comforting for them to know that these are people who are going, they're still there, they're still witnessing, they have not just disappeared, but they are still there and they're, they are still going to be a part of this and they didn't die, they didn't die for nothing. And this was a, uh, an important thing for them to remember. There's lots of different degrees uh, of comfort and hope. Uh, the, the John the Apostle uh, uh, comforts Christians through hearing uh, from one of the uh, one who was, has faithfully served Jesus from the beginning. He started from the beginning as an apostle and all the way up and is still, and this was important, uh, again, Jesus was uh, his testimony and then those are the suffering saints. There's so many in Revelation that help bring comfort to know. And this is the part that always kind of uh, comes back to me and the part that I always uh, just kind of you know gives me chills and goosebumps is the fact that these people are still what what the the people who are reading revelation for the first time why it was profound to them it is still profound to us 2000 years later and it's still profound it still means something it's still not a it is not something that's like well that was it was interesting for them revelation was not written for them it was written for everyone and the the same testimony the same witnessing that was being done uh, then, for those who have died, people have, have still continued to be persecuted and died all the way up through history as not nothing has stopped on that. It's not going to stop as long as evil is in this world, as long as Satan is in this world. Evil, these things are still going to take place, and we can hold comfort in the fact that the witnessing is going to, uh, needs to continue, and it's not being done for no reason, that there is... Uh, Jesus is still alive, that Jesus is still there. His words here, his words 2,000 years ago, and his words today are the same, and they have not changed. Yes? What, what, what I hear from this is the testimony of the suffering. You, you see the people, see what happened to them. The suffering comes through, and the end result is the victory in Jesus and being alive. That's what I see from So... I had said earlier, we talked about, um, about the, the spiritual warfare, and to kind of circle back around to that. We can't affect the outcome, which is good, because the outcome is already victory for, for the kingdom. But we can affect the casualties. Those are the, the souls that we can help bring to the kingdom. We can, we can talk to, we can witness to, we can testify to. We can help with that. The nice thing is, though, is that in normal war, casualties, people live, people die. In our case, we don't have to worry about that. Even if it does come to persecution, if it does come to even physical persecution, we don't have to worry about death because the victory is going to be in Christ no matter what happens, as long as we follow him. And that's, that's, the, that's the, the best part about this, because not only do we know the outcome, but we also know that, yeah, it can be hard while we're here, but at the end of the day, we have hope. And that hope is not something that, and again, I, we go back to this, a class that Jack did, and I, I tried very hard to change my mentality on this, but this idea of hope being, it's like, well, I hope tomorrow will be better. No, 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 that's not the definition of hope. Hope is, it's going to be better. I know it's going to be better, because God said it was going to be better. I know it is. 
That's why if you ever wonder when people say, well, I hope tomorrow will be better, the anchor of hope doesn't make sense. Now, you can't have the anchor of hope if, if hope is kind of like, well, there's a bit of doubt in there. It doesn't work that way. So is the anchor of hope is something that is absolute steadfast, that is not going to, uh, to move. And our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in uh, the anchor that he has set in heaven. And because of that, we can fight. We can go out into the world. We can talk to people without fear. Because even if they, no matter what they do to us, it's not going to change the fact that we are going to, that Christ is going to be victorious and we are going to be, we can be a part of that. And no matter what happens to us, we are still going to, we're still going to win. And uh, that's the uh, that's the hope that we can hold on to. So I, I hope that uh, hope of see, that, see I'm terrible at that. It's a it's a cultural thing. It's a word you cannot get away from it. I've got to find. If anybody can come up with another word to use in that, I cannot find one. There's got to be one, but I cannot figure it out. But I um, I, I believe that uh, we uh, this was able to get a, get some some valuable points across. And where uh, what's an important piece of Revelation, and uh, and John's Revelation, and the testimony that is in that, um, and uh, if uh, next week, if you look at the notes, uh, look for the word conquer throughout Revelation, and note the occurrences uh, below, and uh, that. So, have a wonderful, wonderful day.